Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jacob Beer Show today. Today, we're joined by Peter Tatton. Peter Tatton, yeah, close enough. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. How about you? Pretty good. Cool. Um, how is it in Florida? You know what? It's a beautiful day. This Southern Florida is just a great place to be. It's probably low, low 80s today. Um, a, little, a slight breeze, uh, partly cloudy. It's nice. It's a nice day. It's a, and that's that's we get a steady dose of this now through spring, and then then it starts to get kind of hot, kind of sweltering hot through the summer. But it's a great place to be about about nine months of the year. Awesome. Yeah. And before we get into questions, would you like to share your story? Well, sure. The um, I think what what people are intrigued the most about maybe my my life story is. Um, and the reason I don't mind sharing it is just it's it's I hope that people can find some inspiration um, and see a little bit of themselves in 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 my narrative. So for me, they were I, I grew up my twin brother and I grew up youngest of seven kids. I went to school in a two room schoolhouse, um, middle class. My dad had a, a grocery store in our little hometown in the Midwest. And uh, I was given an opportunity to, to I, I quit college my junior year. And uh, I, I was given an opportunity to turn around a failing health club in my early 20s. And when I took that position, the, the incentive that they gave me, they said, look, we're only going to pay you $16,000 a year, but we'll, we'll allow you to buy us out with the profits that the business generates. And, and that was the opportunity that I needed. It took me, it took me about eight years to, to get enough equity in that business, but then that, that was my springboard. And that's what that's what got me into the fitness space. And, and, you know, here I am today, some 30 years later, I took that one club and I, I built it into one of the largest wellness brands in the world with 6,000 locations spread across three brands in 28 countries. Awesome. Yeah. And um, another thing before we get into questions is, of course, it's called Snap Fitness for our listeners out there who might not know. Yeah. Um, Snap Fitness, nine round fitness on demand. So across those 6,000 locations, there's three brands sprinkled across all those lo locations. And the big, biggest one, of course, is Snap Fitness, correct? Yeah. yeah. And how did you um, get that name? How, wh what was the finding behind Snap Fitness? Well, you know what, when I, when I, when I created the concept, the, for 20 years, the club that I was turning around was called America's Fitness Centers. And when I sold that company, I retained the rights to continue to use the name. So I, when I started Snap Fitness, it was actually called America's 24-Hour Fitness. That's what it was called, America's 24-Hour Fitness. And But I was very quickly served a cease and desist notice from 24-Hour Fitness uh, that I couldn't use that context. Anyway, make a long story short, it prompted me to have to dig a little deeper and try to think of what, what else could I call my, my business. And then, you know, it just came to me. It just said, you know, Snap Fitness, it was, you know, it's quick, it's easy, it's a snap, it's a no-brainer, right? And that was kind of my, my battle cry when I, went to bet, when I went to market with that, is that it was, my, my clubs, they were a little bit smaller in stature, but they had everything you needed in order to get fit. So I knew that my product was going to be relevant with, with the consumer. I knew it was what the customer was looking for. Awesome. And the first question I have is what was the key um, driving force for you to become an entrepreneur? Um, you know, I think the, I think watching my father, you know, my father owned a small grocery store in our hometown. So watching my dad get up and go to work every day, be his own boss 
and and then and then actually see the 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 fruits of his hard work and that's one thing I always appreciated and respected about my dad. He, he put himself above no job, above no person. So he was the kind of guy that would get right in the trenches and go to, go to, go to battle with you. So he was, you know, a man's man, gave, you, gave everything 100%. He was very compassionate, um, very, um, you know, uh, dedicated, committed, and pas passionate about what, what he did. So me, myself being able to watch him at a very early age, um, was a was a great training ground for me awesome and how did you build a successful customer base from when you started after eight years and you're able to pay it back from the health club that you're able to, that you were able to take over after you dropped out of college how were you able to really expand it and get a good customer base right from the start of it well we had to earn earn the customer's loyalty we had to earn that customer base so for us it was really going above and beyond. And one of the first things I needed to do with my staff was, was train them because they, they, they didn't know what they didn't know. And that, that's an important component today's day and age that you can't, people can't follow what they can't see. So I took the time to make sure that they understood what customer service was. I made, I made sure that they understood the importance of making the customer feel special and, and feeling like they're recognized and appreciated. So going through, you know, just the, those the, those um, tactical maneuvers on customer service was a big part of it. One, now the other side of that is you you have to have great customer service, but the other side of it is you have to you have to have you know, be relevant in your equipment offering. So you got to have the right products, you got to have the, the right products, the right location, and the right people. I mean, th those three things are what keep customer loyalty. And what advice would you say when it comes to starting any business out there? How do you really attract somebody's attention? Of course, in a fitness industry, there's many different fitness brands, Anytime Fitness, Snap Fitness, so many others. How do you really, in your opinion and how you did it, attract customers when there's so many brands out there that are sometimes offering close to the same price? How do you get them? Well, I, in, I, I don't think there's a more competitive space than the fitness industry. I, I really don't. And that's not just in the United States, it's worldwide. It's the, the, the health and wellness movement it's alive and well in every corner of the planet. All right, so that's number one. Number two, it's no longer about faster treadmills and heavier weights anymore. Now it's more about community and culture within your four walls. So you gotta make sure, number one, that your club is clean. Number two, that your equipment is relevant, meaning that it's, it's you know, that you've got the right equipment in there. It's what people are looking for. You don't have a bunch of old, tired, dilapidated equipment. So the equipment offering is good. Your club is clean. Your staff is leaning in. They're friendly. They're engaging. Okay, that's that's ground zero for just being in the business. Okay, that's ground zero. Then then ab above and beyond that, what keeps your customers is by that engagement, creating that community and culture within your four walls. And that only comes. That's where the heavy lifting is because that's where you've got to go out of your way to physic to to actually engage people actually engage in real conversation and that's the heavy lifting because everybody wants to everything everyone wants to do it with these phones they they want to text their message i mean the heavy lifting is getting is getting eyeball to eyeball with somebody and having an an, an intentional conversation and that's what it takes today that's that's what separates the winners from the losers or the great from the average and how do you generate new ideas of course when you're an entrepreneur out there 
entrepreneurs think differently than the majority of the people out there. They think mm-hmm. above and beyond. For example, Elon Musk, mm-hmm. he's not just in one industry. He's in SpaceX, electric cars, many different things. He started out with PayPal and even a few companies before that. How, what would you say it is like to generate new ideas on, as an entrepreneur? And how do you think? Well, for me, when ideas come to me, as an entrepreneur, it's kind of in your blood where you're always looking for opportunity. And opportunity can rear its head a number of different ways. I, I think some, some of the best ideas I've had have been from me um, paying for a service or a product and having the product be less than my expectation, okay? Which then prompts me. It, it, it prompts me to say, look, you know what? This product would be so much better or this service would be so much better if they just did this, this, and this. And that happens every day. Every day, people are, are taking someone's, someone's product or service and they're enhancing it, making it better and building a company out of it. It happens every day. So I don't want your listeners out there to think that the only way you can become an entrepreneur is to create some gadget that's never been thought of before. You don't, you don't have to invent the paperclip you know, in order to be successful as an entrepreneur, right? There's just take an existing idea out there and enhance it. Yes. And what really motivates you, of course, when you were growing Snap Fitness and other brands, what motivated you to keep on going in hard times? Because of course, throughout it all, um, there's a 2008 financial crash. And of course, when big economic crashes happen like that, people have to cut down on their spending and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, What motivated you through hard times to keep on fighting to make it better? Well, you know, for me, the, the, you know, the motivation for me just came from, I had no plan B or plan, plan B, right? So there was, there was no plan B and you, so I just had to, um, you know, dig in and work hard. I had to be really, really disciplined. I held myself to a, to a high standard of accountability and, um, and, and did anything necessary in order to drive my business forward. So I knew I knew the importance of you know controlling my operating expenses. I knew the importance of putting every dime back into the club so we could elevate our game and elevate our service. So for the first 10 years of running that facility, I was completely focused on making getting the business you know to a place where I where I had some cash, some some cash flow, some breathing room so I could really make some of the fundamental changes I needed to 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 keep my customer base in place. And it's and it's all of those components. It's having you, it's having to think about every aspect of your business that makes you great. That you 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 know just enough about everything you, that um, you're you're just able to keep a, a really good handle on the the operations of the business and and control the expenses of the business. So that for me, part of my success early on was being so intricately involved in every component of my business. I, I was completely controlling the purse strings. And that was key for me because the, the club that I took over was losing 200,000 a year. They had no free cash flow. So you had to get really creative on how you paid bills. I had to get really creative with bartering, getting people to do service for me and trade for memberships. I mean, there's a lot of things. I did get very, very creative in order to accomplish what I did. And of course, as you had to get creative, and I'm sure it must have been stressful at times. How did how did you work through stress as an entrepreneur? Well, you know, stress is a mindset. Okay, stress resides the six inches between your ears. All right, so just like stress, fear, um, 
uh, doubt. Those are all emotions. All right. So how you deal with those things is number one, you got to look at yourself in the mirror every morning and you got to love the person that you see. You got to believe that that person in the mirror is, is capable and competent and, um, you know, has enough drive and discipline to do, to accomplish whatever they, they set out to do. So the first, the first step of it is believing in yourself, because if you're looking for other people to fill up your cup, if you're looking for other people to bring you joy or to bring you um, gratification, I tell you what, you, you, it's going to be a long road. Okay. In fact, going, going back to your story with Elon Musk, I, I thought it was a great, Elon Musk was speaking to a bunch of young entrepreneurs and one of the, one of the guys stands up and he says, Elon, do you have any words of encouragement for any of us aspiring entrepreneurs? And Elon stops for a minute and he says, you know what, if you need encouragement from anyone, don't be an entrepreneur. It's a true statement, right? If you need somebody to tell you how great you are in order for you to roll out of bed and, and, and go to battle every day, don't be an entrepreneur. You'll, you'll never make it. It's a, it's a lonely place to be. You got to have the stomach for it. And speaking of lonely, what were some of the most loneliest parts when you were creating it and, and for your story, if you don't mind me asking. No, you know what, my, the, so for me, you know, I, I don't ever know that I had a part, I had some really challenging moments. I mean, I remember a time I'd probably been in my business for about three years and I was, I was at a point where I was, I didn't know if I could make payroll. And literally I had payroll checks at that time you were writing, you were physically writing payroll checks and handing them to employees. There was not electronic funds transfers at that time. And, and I had written checks out and I knew that I had about three days before, before these employees would go to the bank and cash and before, you know, before I'd be bouncing checks. Right. And uh, so that was very nerve wracking for me. Cause I thought, you know what, this is going to be so embarrassing. People's payroll checks are going to be bouncing, et cetera, et cetera. But then God willing, that next day, a bunch of people came in and they bought their memberships. They paid their memberships in full and, and I got past it. And, uh, and fortunately for me, I never had a circumstance like that again. And um, getting into our next topic, during the coronavirus pandemic, what was the most and what was the worst part about having to run a business with being shut down, especially the fitness business, which got hit hard because people were told what the media was told and they would be scared yeah. to go out. What was hard about that? Would you say it affected your business more than you thought so? And what did you learn coming out of it? Well, yeah, I mean, it was honestly to have the, we had, the one, we had every health club worldwide under our branch, every one of them was closed for three or four months. So we, with no cash flow coming in, Franchisees were not charging their members, therefore we were not charging our franchisees. So it was a very, very difficult time financially, and um, and so th that was the hard part of it. That 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 whole debacle probably the whole COVID thing probably cost our company fifteen million dollars to date. Okay, and that money's not coming back. That's just the pure um, cash short. All right, so. Um, you know, so that that by far was was the hardest moment. You know, nobody saw it coming. It drives me crazy today that that you know I see Texas is finally now saying, "Hey, look, we're done with this crazy max mask bullshit." You know, yes. and yeah. I and I'm, and I'm the same way. I just wish that everyone would just get over it because the science doesn't support any of that nonsense bullshit. And it's everybody right. just yeah. drank the Kool Aid. Everybody, everyone drank the Kool Aid and you know, these whole restrictions and whatnot. I personally think they handled it 100% wrong. I think anyone 
that felt like they were at risk, they should have been the ones to stay home and isolate themselves and wear a mask and wear gloves. If you feel you're at risk, stay home. I don't think you ever should have shut the economy down like it did. Or schools, for example. And Indiana, we're back in. Yeah, all of it. All of it was a knee-jerk, foolish uh, reaction by Absolutely. the by the liberals driving it mostly. Absolutely, and I agree with you on that as well. I agree with a lot of your views. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I just want to say is not to get off topic too much here, but the worst part about it is, of course, from my standpoint, is we couldn't go out. Now, of course, I'm able to work out at the gym because Indiana's opening up a little bit more. Yeah. But we were so locked down, we weren't able as kids to do any activities, which right. helps us grow. Right. And doing sports, we couldn't do that. Well, right. playing a sport gives you teamwork, which is very important in business, of course, yeah. and coordination, everything like that. Right. Yeah, the business, all of it, and just the, the sheer hanging out with your peers is a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. And you recently wrote a book that you've been working on. Yeah. Impossible Hill. Right. Would you like to tell our listeners about it and yeah. where it's available? Yeah. So it, it, Impossible Hill was written, it was just released on the 17th of February. And uh, it, it's a book, it's on, you can get it on Amazon. And it's right now it's available on ebook only, but they're, they're releasing the hard copy here next week. And, um, but it, it's a book about um, Impossible Hills is, is uh, it's my, my story, but it talks about my 30 years of business experience and how I over, overcoming adversity, overcoming unbelievable odds of, of, uh, of, of trials and tribulation and things that would, that someone would, 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 would go through how I, so I documented all of it, how I got through it and what was my mindset. So my goal is to, when people read my book to number one, inspire them, but number two, give them the tools, give them the mental toughness of what it takes before they ever make the decision on, I'm going to go into business for myself, or I'm going to go, I'm going to go chase down that career job I've always wanted. I want to get people in the right mental mindset before they go in. And I always say, I don't want to send anyone to a gunfight with a slingshot. So I want them to be mentally tough. And I, I, I equate it a lot to a Spartan warrior. So Spartans, they train for battle every day. They train for war every day. Now, are they going to go to war every day? Of course not. But here's what they know. They know that if war ever comes to their doorstep, that they're prepared. And that's the same mindset I want to have for every, every one of my, so my book is called Impossible Hill. My consulting program, my Forbes school is called Hill Takers Academy. Okay. Hill Takers Academy. Hill Takers Academy is, is, a, is, is a fraternity of people who are, they, they're, 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 they're overcoming adversity. It's a great peer group talking about sharing business ideas, mental discipline, mental um, accountability, all the things that it takes to win. So that, that's what, what this whole, the whole premise of the book is about is the number one, share my story, but give you real life circumstances that I went through that, that allowed me to, to, to get where I am today, which is, you know, I, I was able to build one of the, one of the largest wellness brands in the world. And, and I'm living proof that anything's possible. Like literally I went to school in a two room schoolhouse in a small town in the Midwest. Absolutely. Yeah. And a big thing in today's world, of course, with education, getting into our final topic, is even though there are some business classes, you, they really don't teach you real economics. No. And they don't teach you about entrepreneurship. And even college business classes, it prepares you more than people who would never take a business class, but it doesn't totally prepare you. 
Yeah. What do you think educationism should be teaching about entrepreneurship and business for kids like well, me who are interested in that? Well, I'm for me, I'm, a, I'm I'm living proof of it. I quit college my junior year. Okay, I never finished college, and and that's not uncommon. I mean, the it, it, I didn't finish college just because I wasn't. It wasn't. I, I didn't feel it was ever going to be applicable to to what I was doing. Number one, I didn't financially. I couldn't afford it. Number two. Um, I, di I didn't see the applicability of it. So I personally don't understand how somebody can get a degree in entrepreneurship, as an example. I mean, because if, if I'm talking to somebody and they say, and I say, what do you do? They say, I'm an entrepreneur. My next quite my follow up question would be, well, what do you what? Oh, really? What do you do? Right? Because as an entrepreneur, that means that you're doing something, you have a business. But so they say, no, I don't have a business. Well, look, you can't say you're an entrepreneur if you don't have if you're not in business. Okay. You're in business when you when you buy a business or you're operating a business, you're selling something, you're providing a service, okay? You're exchanging currency. Now you're an entrepreneur, all right? So until you get there, you're not an entrepreneur. You aspire to be an entrepreneur and there's a big difference, right? Yeah. So a lot of people screw that, screw that up. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just like somebody self-professing, I'm a man of character. Okay, because when, when my kids were small, I was always talking about character, how making tough decisions, being comfortable standing on your own and making a tough decision that may go against the grain of the popular vote, right? So having character, having, having the balls to stand up on what you know is right and make your stand, okay? So that, and I, and I say someone like that has got strong character. They, they don't lie, they don't steal, they're straight shooting, they're honest people, they're, that's a man of character, okay? You can't self-profess that. I can't tell you, hey, I'm a, I'm a man of character. No, you, you, don't get, you don't get to give that gift to yourself. That's why if I tell someone, hey, look, you're, you're, you know, you've got great character. That, that, that is a beautiful compliment that you can pay someone, but it can't be self-professed. Absolutely. I've heard that one a few times. Yeah. And what advice would you have for young people out there who want to be entrepreneurs? Uh, majority of the time, Teachers always say this, oh, go to college, get a bachelor's degree. Right. What advice would you have somebody, and what I mean entrepreneurs, it could be somebody who maybe wants to start a grocery store yeah. or anything or a car wash or create a product and a gadget yeah. or whatever. So there's some entrepreneur, of course. What advice would you have for them? Well, I, first thing is you find something you can be passionate about. And, and I really mean that because winning in business, it's hard work. It's a hard work and it's a lot of emotional, it's emotional and financial, um, you know, heartburn, right? It's, it's hard. So you got to find something that you're passionate about that that'll give you the, a better chance of enduring those long hours and some of those stressful moments that you're, that you're about to endure. And you won't mind doing it because you're so passionate about it. You actually love it. You, it's the first thing you think about in the morning and the last thing you think about when you go to bed. I mean, you just, you can't get enough of it, right? That's the type of infatuation and passion you need to have for your dream job or whatever it is that that is. So number one, find something you're passionate about. Number two, make sure that you have perspective. And the reason I say this is so many people that I'm consulting and coaching, they, they, have, they lack perspective on a number of things. They lack perspective on the amount of effort it's going to take. They lack perspective on the length of time it's going to take. And, and when you lack perspective, that's a tough thing because some people feel like they're failing. They say, Peter, I've been doing this for five years. I feel like I'm not moving the ball, this, that, and the other thing. And I say, look, 
I chased my first dream for 20 years. For 20 years, I chased my first dream. I, the, my first opportunity was to turn around a family health club. It took me 20 years before I sold that company and then started Snap Fitness. And to tell you just how fast it can happen, for 20 years, I chased that dream. I built a great business. And when I was done, I sold it. I had about $3 million in the bank. And then about six months later, I started Snap Fitness. Within 15 years, I built a company from an idea in my head to a company that was valued at close to $200 million. So it can happen just that fast. Awesome. And my final question today is, what would you say is something with the Gen C generation in particular, of course, millennials, Robert Kiyosaki, who was the um, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and is a businessman. Yeah. Millennials are known for being very smart, but not having the courage to do things because they're scared of being judged. What is something that you would say to Gen Seers who are a lot like millennials, our generation is a lot like millennials, who are scared to do something and take a risk in life, what advice would you have to them? I would tell them, number one, don't be, a, don't be, a fear of, don't be afraid of failure. It's so important. Okay. Failure, I, I can tell you, and I, tell you, and I could line up my room of, of entrepreneurs that'll tell you that it's through times of adversity that the life lessons were learned. I always say anyone can run a business with the wind at your back. Winds behind your sails, everything is easy. There's no, there's no strife in your business at all. Everything's easy peasy. Look, at times of adversity, it's at times of COVID, at times of financial crisis, at times of unforeseen competition or a paradigm shift in an industry. It's at those times that you have to dig deep and literally look into your soul and, and, and find your way to get through it. Those are the character building moments that, that you strive for. Every, every, I, I appreciate every great moment I had, but I also appreciate the learning experiences that I had along the way. And when something comes at me that is unpredictable, and this is a really important message. Life is uncertain. Life is unpredictable. That's, that's the only thing I can tell you for sure. The only certain thing about life is the fact it's gonna be uncertain, right? So I tell people, look, when you have that moment, when, when something unforeseen comes, okay, you feel like you're blindsided. And some people say, Peter, I'm, I always get blindsided. I'm always caught off guard. And I always tell them, look, quit looking at it like that. That's just life. And that's just how life happens. Life will blindside you now and then. Why? Because you weren't expecting it. Why? Because you weren't thinking about it. It's okay. Just absorb the, the situation. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Absorb the situation and then take a breath and make a, make a rational decision moving forward. Don't knee-jerk your way around it, but just understand uncertainty and adversity, that's going to happen in life. Don't let it freak you out. Don't let it change your moral compass as to who you are. It's just part of life. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. Um, and just one last time, where's your book available again? You can, you can catch it on Amazon. So just go to, go to Amazon and, and just put, type in Impossible Hill. It was on the, the bestseller list. It was, on, it was the number one bestseller in all 12 categories at one point. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, my, my pleasure. Take care.